Mark chapter 5. If you're not already there, tap or flip to Mark chapter 5 once again. I remember being in a crowded train station on the way home from a baseball game in Los Angeles. Probably a trip that I shouldn't have made solo, and I can tell you more about the story. But as I came into, onto the platform, I, I found it strange, as many also were, were leaving and exiting the game, that, that the platform was packed on one end and almost completely empty on the other. And I, I thought that, that was strange when there was room to spread out until I saw him, a man pacing erratically, violently tearing at his clothes and his hair, yelling out into the train station, carrying on what seemed like multiple conversations at the same time. Do you have him in mind? Maybe in some places that you have been or experienced. And so, as watch, watching around and seeing, seeing parents pull their kids a little closer, give plenty of distance to this man, and I think get on a tr- the very next train regardless of where it was going. What would I have done, I didn't even consider this in the moment, had this man turned, looked at me, and started to run directly toward me? What if he had fallen at my feet and grasped at my legs? How would I have responded? How about you? What do you think Jesus would have done? Mark chapter 5 tells us the answer to that very question. We're going back to the beginning of Mark chapter 5. On Easter, we jumped forward to look at the resurrection power of Jesus to raise Jairus' little girl from the dead. I thought that was appropriate. And then we finished the story the last couple weeks by looking at Jesus' healing of a suffering and shamed woman and his restoration of her unto life. But that encounter was preceded by this one that begins at the beginning of Mark chapter 5. A little bit of an extended 20-verse-long story, but I'd like to read it for us as we once again try to enter into the story. Remember, the disciples and Jesus came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, and he was sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had had the demons, 
begged him that he might go with him. And he did not permit him to go, but said to him, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. You'll be disappointed, I'm sure, that I'm not getting to some parts of this story. For example, I have no time to discuss pigs today. I think it would distract us from the main point, but it would be an interesting conversation. It's in there for a reason. So perhaps over lunch, over ham sandwiches or bacon and eggs or carnitas tacos, you can discuss why the pigs and what was the relevance there. But Mark, at a main point, Mark is clearly and systematically revealing that all who come to Jesus are finding healing. Perhaps far more than that, they're finding wholeness, salvation, sozo in the Greek, which we've discussed at length. Freedom, identity, belonging. All who come to Jesus, every kind, especially the last and the least, the marginalized, the ostracized, the suffering, the shame. It's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And to be clear, Jesus meant those who know they are sick and in need are finding healing from Jesus. Not only does he receive them and welcome them, he pursues them as we see in this story. Not only does he heal, he touches. Those whom the world says are unclean, unworthy, untouchable, Jesus declares clean, worthy, loved. This man that Jesus encountered today would likely be incarcerated or heavily medicated or both or in a psychiatric hospital. If not incarcerated, perhaps walking the streets yelling out with people withdrawing from him completely. Most would steer clear, just as in this story, everyone withdrew or abandoned this man, yet Jesus drew near. The only ones who had attempted to come near, it doesn't seem that they were coming for concern or care for this man, but for their own safety and security as they tried to bind him and control him and probably remove him from their society the danger that he posed to them, certainly unknowing what to do about it, not having the systems in place that we do today. Is it possible that the sole reason that the Spirit led Jesus across the lake to this region was for this man? Consider that for a moment. Do you think the disciples thought that was worth it? You remember the story in chapter 4. They had been on the boat in the midst of the storm. They had almost died. Certainly they thought they were going to perish, whether or not that was ever true, because Jesus was amongst them. And he asked them, why are you so afraid? But after a night of travel through the storm and Jesus delivers them, they're still wet and haggard, emotionally spent and exhausted. And immediately this man runs from the tombs. A whole new danger arises. You think they have any capacity to deal right now? They've got to be wondering, where the heck are we? Jesus, what are you doing? You've led us to this desolate region, to the tombs. Everyone avoided this place. The account in Luke says that this man was naked. Now, naked can mean exactly what we think it means. It can also mean just very, very little clothing, no outer clothing on. Whatever your picture is of this man. He starts to run from afar, screaming at you. How do you respond? You have time. You have a moment here. 
Back to the boat. Run, turn, flee, at least withdraw. While Jesus stands firm, you give distance, don't you? All right, Jesus is between us. Do we still know who this man is? So now they are watching. Jesus remains unwavering, and this man falls at his feet. We know what happens. In short order, sometime within a few hours probably, I don't know how long it took for those herdsmen to go back to the town to spread the word and for the townspeople to come, but within that same day, these disciples are immediately begged to leave us, go home. So after all they've been through, for this one man, they're now being told, go home. Was it worth it? Was that worth it? Is this not the gospel in a picture, in a story? Jesus risking all, giving up all to love, pursue, and deliver even one soul. Leaving the 99 to go after the one is his way. It is the gospel. No doubt the disciples, no doubt you or I would have said, what are we doing here? Is it even worth it? We would have avoided that kind of a place altogether. Jesus, where will you lead us next if we're to follow you? Not to the tombs. How could a good shepherd really lead us through the valley of the shadow of death? He wouldn't, would he? Jesus stands unwavering in the midst of a mighty tempest and with a word brings peace and calm. Jesus stands unwavering in the midst of the powers of hell and with a word brings peace and calm, freedom and deliverance. Jesus having authority over all things. Do we still not believe? Do we still not understand? Neither did the disciples. It seems that almost everyone who encounters Jesus is struggling to grasp who he is, if not grasp at him. Who is this man? Even those closest to him that have now seen and witnessed firsthand his miraculous power and authority are still asking the question, who is this? And so with that irony, Mark employs, this one rightly identifies him. The one that is demon-possessed, the legion himself actually takes the posture before Jesus that is the right posture, bowing at his feet, identifying him as the son of God, giving over authority. You have all authority. And they knew it, though they did not worship him. Ironic, powerful, and it's supposed to be revealing. That's what Mark's intention is. So many throughout the story take the wrong posture, identify Jesus wrongly, make false assumptions or accusations, and simply fail to understand his claims. What about us? What posture will we take before him? Even today, will we bow before him, identifying him rightly, proclaiming his authority? We can do all of that and still not worship him. Will we worship him? Will we follow him? Will we follow his ways and where he goes? To continue to withdraw from the hurting, the suffering, the oppressed and the tormented, the marginalized and the ostracized simply reveals that we do not understand who Jesus is, nor do we understand what he has done for us. Paul says in Ephesians 2.1, as for you, 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 me, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. May as well have been in the tombs in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by your works, so that no one can boast. This is God's love and pursuit that is received by each one. I pray we receive it today. And as we once again are reminded of the depth of that love and grace for us, that he would come and reach us even out of what is dead and bring out life and new life, we then turn and follow him into the same places. We rightly ask the question, who are the oppressed and the tormented in our lives? I think we see them in the world, but are they not within our own families or our own communities? whether extended family or neighborhood or friend circle or former friend or acquaintance, those that are afflicted, oppressed, maybe they have experienced significant abuse. Perhaps they are now afflicted by addiction that seems to own them. The opioid crisis in our world, especially in our country, is, is just rampantly growing. We hear about so many other forms of death and oppression, and that one seems to be ignored widely by society, the feel of it. 50,000 Americans will die this year from an opioid disorder or overdose, and it's cousin heroin. I'm sure it's reached your family or extended family to some degree. It has to mine. But it need not be opioids or alcohol or other addictions of substance or even abuse, abuse that brings shame. And as we looked at the last two weeks, Shame can oppress and torment because the adversary of God will speak lies, the lies that are his native tongue that sound like this. They will sound familiar because he has not changed his tune. You will never experience love, true love, acceptance, connection, health, happiness, purpose, joy. You're not worthy of it. You never will be. It is your fault. These are the lying this is the lying tongue of the enemy and the shame that can oppress and torment and crush. And we likely have felt this as well. Maybe all of us have experienced in some way this that likely proceeds to the very addictions that we might turn to, which need not be substance, though they can be because we are all seeking to numb the pain of believing those lies and being under that shame. Perhaps our family member or friend that is coming to mind is also battling a mental illness. We might even say things like they have demons in their head. They have voices that speak lies. They hear them. Have we withdrawn? Is it worth it to pursue? What could we do anyway? With the resources and the systems that are in place, though they be not good, this story is a reminder they are better than many places. And if the professionals can't help, what can we do? Have we withdrawn from these who are tormented and oppressed? Certainly our world would offer some solutions or some answers, but primarily 
The answers are relative to social, emotional, mental, and physical challenges. And solutions can only seem to alleviate or be like band-aids or coping mechanisms for a time. And I do believe unless the spiritual is addressed, there will be no true healing and freedom and deliverance because we are spiritual beings first. The Gospels and Jesus continually remind us that. Though not negating the significance of mental, emotional, physical, and social brokenness and disorder, but the spiritual must be a part if not the first step in healing and deliverance. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle first against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus consistently modeled that authority and as a, as a first response to his ministry was often the resistance of the spiritual forces. That was his first step after baptism, was to defend with truth the lies of the enemy and defeat him. And certainly this legion knew of his authority and knew that he had stood against and taken authority over Satan, their master. Are we paying attention? Were the disciples in that moment? Certainly hindsight would have been 2020. In the very next chapter, Jesus will send them out two by two, but without him, with a primary call to confront the unclean spirits, to drive them out, to take authority over them. He will give them his authority and send them. And if we know anything at this point in the story, we've got to assume that they would have said, we are not ready for that. And as we know it, they were still questioning who he was and Theologically and Christologically, they had some massive gaps in their understanding. And yet Jesus was willing to send them out to do the very things he had done. Though they would have said, we are not ready. Go with us, Lord. Go and work. You have my authority. Come and report back to me. He says the same for all who would follow him. If we're waiting until we are ready, we will always be waiting. He sends us with, with his authority. The right posture is to go in humility. And that, that will in, in, ensure that we are praying only in the authority of Jesus as we enter into places to confront the enemy. Would the good shepherd really send us and lead us into these kinds of places? Would he send us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Are we paying attention to the places that he went? Why he came from heaven to earth. Will we fear no evil because he is with us? Wherever the hurting and the suffering and the oppressed and the tormented dwell, that's where Jesus is. He has come to give life and to set them free. With some of his first words to claim for himself in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he read from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What if following the leading of the Holy Spirit will cost us our comforts, our securities, into the valley of the shadow of death? He is with us. 
I hope you're recognizing that phrase. It's from the famous Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside quiet waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And what comes next? In the presence of enemies, he has set a table. And that's the place. In the presence of evil, in the presence of those that would oppose in my adversaries, he has set a table. The place of blessing. A place to dwell without fear. A place where we are anointed to do his work. A place where the cup overflows and where goodness and mercy will follow us all our days. This is where the leading of the Spirit of God will be. As we're striving to follow him, what if he sends us into these places for one soul? Is it worth it? This is the love of Jesus who leaves the 99 to come after the one. And it's true for every one of us. How could it not be true for the last and the least and the lost? And yet one new life can multiply 30, 60, or 100 fold. And maybe that's what we see in this story. And why Jesus said, no, don't follow me. Go. You have a testimony. Your life and your words will declare what I have done. And so he went, likely amongst family and friends. It says the Decapolis, the region of the 10 cities. That's simply what the word means. Though we don't know fully what that means, those cities are today. It was a region, an entire region he went throughout proclaiming the freedom and deliverance that Jesus had brought to him and likely bring in a harvest of 30 or 60 or 100 fold. And Jesus sends us in the same way. Would our life and our words demonstrate what he has done for us? He has given us his authority over the spiritual forces of evil to pray declarative, to rebuke and resist the enemy, and he must flee his very promises. Matthew 28, 18, with some of his final words as he sent his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore you go. Go into all the world. Represent him in the ways that he brought healing, deliverance, and freedom to the hurting, the ostracized, the tormented, and the abused. What a humbling thought. Lord, keep us humble. If we read this story and received it at heart, that shouldn't be hard. One final note that may be sobering. Did you notice that Mark tells us that Jesus had been repeatedly saying to Legion, come out come out. I'm not sure if this was to demonstrate something to his disciples or if that's what it took in this, in this battle against the spiritual forces. The Greek is pretty clear. It's the imperfect active tense. Verse 8, Jesus kept on saying to him, come out. If Jesus needed to be relentless and persistent, how much more will we need to be relentless and persistent in our prayers for spiritual deliverance, in our presence in the lives of the oppressed, and in our pers perseverance for the long term. Let us never give up. Let us never give up in faith and hope, for God has and will deliver. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. 2 Corinthians 2.10 Lord, keep us humble. But add to our humility, boldness, we pray. 
By your authority alone given to us, we resist and rebuke evil, oppression, torment. We rebuke your enemies who stand against you, who would steal, kill, and destroy in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. They must flee. We declare it in the authority of Jesus, our Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, and him alone. Bring life, bring deliverance, healing, freedom, and wholeness, we pray. Amen.